Welcome to Safety Help with Tony Collins. Join him to learn how to improve workplace safety to be legally compliant, win more contracts, and increase profits. Hi listeners and welcome back. This podcast is actually part of a series I have produced that explains how to set up your own safety system. The audio is taken from a video training course which is available for free from my website www.safetyhub.co.nz but you know I know some people like the podcast format which is probably you know why you're listening now but if you do prefer video or even want to buy the product that goes with the course it's all on the website and the details are there but let's get into this particular chapter right away. Reporting and investigation, and it's really important we get this right, because most companies do not know they need to report a serious harm injury to the Department of Labor. Now, they may not do this because they may not have been notified by the employee about the serious harm injury. They also may fear bringing attention to themselves by reporting it to the Department of Labor, Uh, The company may not know what a serious harm injury is. And of course, they may not know that they need to report. And this needs to be done as quickly as possible verbally to the Department of Labor. And then in writing in seven days using a certain form. Now there's a lot of information there. And what I'm going to be doing is break it down in this chapter. So you know exactly what you need to do. In this chapter then, we're going to cover why you need to report, and then how to report, and then why you need to investigate any accident or near miss, and then how to go about investigating. Why do you need to report then? Well, let me demonstrate by way of example. A few years ago in Wellington, a young worker was carrying a plastic bucket of hot oil, tripped and burnt themselves. The company was fined $7,000 for not managing, identifying and managing that hazard, and also $10,000 was given to the employee by way of reparation. They were also prosecuted under the Act for not reporting, either verbally or in writing, to the Department of Labor, and were given a $750 fine. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think a $750 fine is going to really motivate companies to, to report to the Department of Labor. And perhaps that was why, not long after that, a step change in thinking occurred and another company was taken to court and fined $70,000. What happened was uh, a worker was working in a beef cutting room and cut their thumb, had to have uh, four days off work and a few months, four four days in a hospital and a few months off work. Um, And they were... The company was taken to court and charged under three sections. One section was in relation to the hazard and they were given a $15,000 fine, $1,000 in reparation. But they were then fined $35,000 for not verbally getting on the phone and telling the Department of Labor of the serious harm injury. They were then charged another $35,000 for not filling in a form, just a A4 piece of paper within seven days and informing the Department of Labor. That's $70,000. Now it was going to be 50 grand per fine, but the judge um, awarded um, a lesser fine because of the early guilty plea. Now I don't know about you, but I think a $70,000 fine 
will make a significant difference to most businesses. So I hope I have your attention now about the need to report. You know, is it worth the risk not reporting? Some of you may think, well, if I report, I bring attention to myself. But here's the thing. People talk, especially in small provincial towns. Um, word gets around about an injured pe person within your workplace. People have networks. Is it worth the risk not reporting? So here is the key message. If you're in doubt, get on the phone and talk to the Department of Labour. If it is in fact not a serious harm injury, they'll be able to let you know. But play it safe, get on the phone and let them know. How do you go about reporting then? Well, obviously if you're, if you're considering the need to report, then some unplanned event has occurred. Now, hopefully you've already managed the situation, especially because you've worked through the emergency preparedness and readiness chapter, and you would have dealt with the situation. And we're talking about the basic initial response. Um, secure the scene, make sure no one else is going to get hurt, then treat the individual or individuals. And then once you've got control of the situation, now's the time to take stock, have a breath, and think about what you're going to do next. And what you're going to do next is going to include reporting to the required organisations. Of course, I'm talking about the Health and Safety and Employment Act here, but there may be other organisations you need to contact, such as the police, Maritime New Zealand, CAA, and so on, depending upon your business. I've put together this flowchart to help you, and I apologise for the orientation of the flowchart, uh, but I just wanted you to be able to see the complete process, the big picture in one image. But this process only works if the company are aware that an accident or incident has occurred. So after treating the injured, the employees need to inform the company of the incident. The big scale events like a fire will be obvious, but more often than not, accidents will occur and involve one or just a few people. As a company then, you need to set up an internal reporting system first. There are many ways to do this, which depend upon your business. One way is to have a designated health and safety rep that is in charge of the reporting. Once an employee has treated an injury or had a near miss, they can verbally tell the health and safety rep about the accident or incident. Another way is to have a little notepad which employees fill in just basic information that they can take to the health and safety rep who can then follow it up in more detail. I think the best way is to have an employee verbally work through with the health and safety rep and fill in the reporting form, which is also the accident form. That way you don't muck around and you can deal with the reporting and the investigation in one hit. It's very good time management. The most important component on setting up an internal reporting system is not actually the system. It's the culture of reporting within the company. Now this leadership aspect will make or break your reporting system. If employees are fearful with regard to their job about reporting, you know, they're worried about, oh, here's another black mark, I, I'm, in their mind I'm always making mistakes and, you know, I may not get a job. If they're fearful, then they won't report. Or if they're embarrassed about reporting, if they're mocked by their workmates or even by management or you as the owner, then they're not going to report and you're not going to hear about these 
incidents that occur, or perhaps even a serious harm accident, unless you hear about it the hard way. So the most important component is for you, the business owner or senior management and health and safety rep right through the company to make it clear that reporting is expected and you expect your employees not to take the mickey out of each other, okay? We make mistakes or a part of a system that makes mistakes, we're going to try and find out why. This is critical and then we can move on to the actual system itself. So now we need to determine if the incident was a serious harm incident. I go into this into the hazard management chapters, and here is the current definition. But in a nutshell, what would you consider to be a serious injury, using a bit of common sense? If you are ever unsure or need clarification, assume it is serious and ring the Department of Labour. They will tell you if it is or not, and then you can move on to the next step. What you need to do then is secure the scene. The idea is to preserve the evidence so an investigation can be made and also prevent anyone else from being harmed. For example, for the Air Force helicopter crash on Anzac Day 2010, a crash cordon was established and guarded 24 hours, 7 days a week as reporters were trying to get onto the scene. In this case, the crashed aircraft still had fuel on board and other dangerous equipment, and it was imperative nothing was disturbed, as backwards analysis can reveal a lot about the aircraft at the time of impact. What you need to do is take a similar approach to your accidents within your workplace and take on board the guidance of the Department of Labour when you call them. Finally, to wrap up the reporting aspects, you've made your verbal call to the Department of Labour. Now let's go ahead and fill in the written notification on the prescribed form. The form is simple to complete and I recommend getting it done almost immediately before you get into an investigation. It is fairly simple and it is worth taking 30 minutes to complete rather than forget as you now move into the investigation phase. Why do we investigate then? The only reason to investigate is to learn from the incident, make recommendations and put actions in place that are going to prevent those mistakes being made again. If your mindset is a legal one, just tick the investigation completed box, then you're not going to learn from that. And that's when you get into the situation where employees will see an accident occurring and then they'll talk about it and have a chuckle and say, ha ha ha, yes I knew about that. That's because a thorough investigation wasn't conducted. And an investigation doesn't have to take a long time, it's just a, a simple few techniques which we're going to go into. But here's, here's the rub. If your mindset is to learn and prevent it occurring again, you're also going to be covering off on your legal obligations. What do we investigate? Well, most people focus on just investigating those accidents that cause a death or a serious harm injury. Now, best practice is to actually investigate every incident that is reported to the company. Well, why do we do this? Well, is one very good reason, and that is your employees will see that you're actually taking their reporting seriously. Now, if, if they're reporting events to you and you do nothing about them except put it in a ring binder and file it away, you're going to stop the reporting. However, if you look at every incident and put a bit of time and thought into it, they're going to say, hey, yeah, my opinion's worthwhile, and they will keep reporting, and you will keep learning.
The other reason is when you think about it, it is actually a cost-effective approach to managing safety in your business. When you have an incident, the difference between a close call and a fatality can come down to just bad luck. Or the difference between a serious injury and death can be luck as well. It could have been half a second later or earlier, or five metres or five mils closer or further away. So if your business is having a lot of close calls, then you need to find out why before the close calls turn into a minor, major injury or even a death. Another way of looking at it is to picture an iceberg. The incidents underneath the water represent those events that did not result in damage or injury. Think of an incident as a wake-up call for you. Now there are so many different models and methods and ways of conducting an investigation. I attended a three-month investigation course in America and and they had a crash lab, it was called. They um, had a designated piece of land and they bought actual wreckage from crashes and put them out in a scatter pattern and you had to go and look at this pattern and try and piece together what, what happened. Obviously, this short video, we're not going to have enough time to go into all the different techniques and methods. You can spend years and years on this, especially for complicated investigations. But what I'm going to do is give you a very simple model to work through, and it's called the 5Y model. The idea behind the 5Y model is that if you've gathered all the information on the incident, you've spoken to everybody involved and any witnesses who may have seen, you'll kind of have a, an idea in your head about what happened. Then you can start asking yourself, why did this occur? And then you'll get to a level of, of investigation that you can ask another question, why did this occur? And why did this occur? And you can go down five in depth. And why five? Well, five will normally get you down to the nub of that particular cause. It doesn't have to be five. It could be two or three. It doesn't have to stop at five. But five is a good rule of thumb for you to follow. The important point here, though, with the 5Y model is that don't get stuck into one line of thinking because by following five down, you will get to a cause. But in any incident, there is more than one causal factor that can bring about the situation. So you need to look at different parts of inquiry and apply the five whys to that. And you actually may get down one level in depth after a why question and it may break out like, a, like the branches of a tree. The five whys will help you, help you progress your thinking to get as many causes as you can. The more causes you can find, the more they're going to relate to that particular incident and to a big bulk of other incidents. So you can tackle the problem head on. Let me give you an example. We're going to use a car crash mainly because, you know, we may, we've all seen car crashes or, or um, read about them or may be involved in the future. Um, obviously, the police would take care of the investigation if it was serious. Uh, but just for the sake of an argument, let's say that we are conducting the, the whole response, the emergency and the investigation. So what was happening is um, uh, an employee was in a car vehicle, um, had left work, was on a job, and was approaching a T-junction, stop sign, didn't stop, continued through, collected another car, there was a crash. So obviously we need to first off 
get into our emergency response, we would need to secure the scene, we'd treat, treat the first aid, secure the scene so no one else is going to get injured. Then we're going to report if it is a serious harm incident uh, to the, verbally to the Department of Labour and then in writing within seven days. We're also going to collect information. We're going to take photos of the incident. We're going to talk to the drivers. We're going to talk to any witnesses. Document all this information. Okay, now we can get into the investigation side using the 5Y model. Now we ask the driver, okay, why did you go through the stop sign? And he says to us, well, I was distracted. Okay. Now, if you didn't have a model, you might finish there and say, hmm, distracted? Driver error. Black mark against the driver's employee's record and, um, you know, every other employee of the company will then be afraid of reporting any other smaller incidents. But what we're going to do is we continue. So we're going to say, well, why were you distracted? Uh, my phone rang, and my cell phone rang, and I picked it up. All right, cell phone, there's a law against that, law against cell phone use. Um, we're not going to throw the book at you, we're going to hand it over to the police, and they're going to throw the book at you. And this still may occur, but what we need to do is see if there's any underlying problems. So, okay, well, why did you answer your cell phone? Well, because, you know, you guys called me work, work called me. I had an another job that I had to go to, and um, they rang me up to say, this is urgent, we need you to do this, and, and my mind was trying to work out how I'm going to make all this happen, and I just didn't pay attention. Okay, so we've got an underlying problem here. What What's work doing calling their employees while they're out on the phone, out on the road, using cell phones? Okay, is there, is, why, why are work doing that? Well, is there a policy in place at work, a way to manage urgent type calls? Could the policy have been um, a text message to get the driver to pull over on the side of the road? Uh, there are so many different things that can be done, but they can only be done and addressed if we actually get to this point of understanding, because we could have stopped higher up at, throw the book at the driver. Maybe another offshoot of being distracted, um, or actually blowing through the stop sign was um, being distracted because uh, the brakes didn't work or they, fe they felt spongy. You know, okay, what, it's got a warrant, why, why was it spongy? Well, we've got a fleet of cars and all the cars are different. And then you could get, get into, okay, is there a risk there with different maintenance um, or different cars and drivers in and out, you know? So you need to look for more than one cause. The only danger with the 5-wire model is that you could be driven down to finding only one cause, and more often than not, no, let's say there's never just one cause. Focus on finding as many as you can. So if you only remember one thing about investigation, remember five whys. If you can remember two things, look for more than one cause. Multi-causes will allow you the best opportunity for more than one recommendation, opportunity to fix more than one problem within your workplace. Okay, like every chapter, action steps. Step one, develop a flowchart to guide your reporting and investigation response. You can use the template I provided as a guide. Step two, teach staff about the response requ required from them. 
including the need to report any incidents to the company and to secure a scene both to protect the people and preserve the evidence. Remember we talked about the culture of reporting within the company? Really important to lead this one. Step three, assign the responsibility for managing the reporting and investigation requirements. Train this person in what they need to do. This has been another episode on workplace safety by Tony Collins. For more tips, visit safetyhub.co.nz and join the free newsletter.